healthcare professionals are they're just human beings at the end of the day, right? And they're really busy human beings. So how do you get their mind share when their their you know their mission or what they're doing is not their mission isn't to learn your platform. Mm-hmm. Their their mission isn't to to learn those tools, right? Their mission is to care for patients. Welcome everyone to Reboot Health. I'm your host, Amol Deshpande. This podcast is for founders, clinicians, researchers, and investors in the digital health space who want to discover more about this evolving ecosystem. We'll talk to individuals changing healthcare to learn from their trials, tribulations, and successes. Our goal is to uncover the technology and trends shaping the future of digital health technology. Sachin Agarwal is CEO of Think Research. Think Research provides tools and services to connect clinicians with their patients, help standardize care decisions with clinical evidence, and ensure data is easily accessed and shared between providers for the best patient care. Sachin was a recipient of Canada's Top 40 Under 40 Award in 2017 and sits on the board of the Council of Canadian Innovators. Sachin, welcome to Reboot Health. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Excited to be with you. All right. So we were just talking before the show. I haven't seen you since sort of 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. Um, really interested to dig into sort of think research in, in a bit more detail. But for those of people in the audience who haven't heard from you, give us a little bit of an arc of your background, um, kind of where you came from, and in particular, how you got to where you are now. And maybe in particular, you know, given the listeners, the relationship between healthcare and technology and kind of what, what, why you double clicked on that area, because, you know, you don't come from this area. No, I don't. I, I mean, I, I do have a, a science background. I studied biochemistry in my okay. uh, in my early days. Um, then I went took a took a detour, did my law degree and my MBA uh, here at the University of Toronto. Practiced corporate commercial law for a number of years. A lot of M and A, and a lot of M and A in the for uh, technology companies and particularly media and technology companies. So I had a science background, then some media and technology. Then I went over and I worked in Canadian politics. So I ran a few campaigns and then I was in a modestly senior role. I was a deputy chief of staff in the leader of the opposition's office in, in Ottawa. This is when the, when the Liberal Party was in opposition some, some 12 years ago and uh, really learned the machinery of, of, of government at that time and, and uh, you know, had a real, I've always had a bit of a, a public service bent. So sort of stitch those things together and, um, you know, uh, uh, technology and business impacting a, a public service area is, is, is how I became interested, right? It didn't have to be this, but, but this was, this sort of checked the boxes and I thought this was super interesting. So got involved in startup land and there we go. Kit, we'll talk about it in, in just a minute, but can you double click why, like, was there any particular reason why Think Research? Was it just sort of the opportunity that was in front of you? Was it kind of what they were doing, their mission? Was there anything specific that kind of connected you with, with Think Research? Yeah, I, I think um, I think the idea, and this is going on, you know, this is back in 2010 when I joined, right? You sort of, at a very high level, look at what we did. We we created checklists for doctors, right? Yeah. And, and in my mind, the question was in, in 10, 20, 30 years, is there any doubt that clinicians will be using aids of some kind, digital aids or, or other decision-making aids, 
in their practice. And to me, it was like a, a no brainer from the start. So the question was, you know, could we turn something, could we make something of this platform that took advantage of that, of that long-term trend? Got it. Tell, tell us a little bit, and I, I probably didn't do justice in the, in the opening, but maybe just give us a broad overview of Think Research. Like, what do you really do? What are your, where are your customers located? What do you hope to achieve? Like, just a broad sort of swath of kind of, you know, sure. how, you, how you perceive Think Research, which is yeah, probably more sure, accurate than sure. how I do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. Uh, uh, we're, 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 a, we're a software company, and we get new evidence and new best practice out to the point of care to help doctors, nurses, you know, hospitals, entire health systems to practice up-to-date uh, medicine, right? Okay. Uh, our mission is to organize the world's health knowledge so everyone gets the best care, right? And in, in, um, so we do, everything, we do everything from medical education for new best practices and new evidence mm -hmm. through to decision support for, okay. um, for the same purpose. And we've got about 3,000 clients, uh, many of them in Canada, but a good number of them now in the US and in other places around the world, like Ireland, UK, the Middle East, um, and nice. Australia. Fantastic. Wow. That's quite a broad swath for a Canadian company. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it's a, you gotta, you gotta think big in this industry. <laughs> Great. Um, on, I was curious on the on the website. There's sort of a terminology that I think is is sort of under your bio, and I wonder if you could sort of double click on that. I think you, you look at think research, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, as solving a global knowledge crisis. Can you can you kind of explain a little bit more what you what you mean by that, as it applies to healthcare? Yeah. Listen, without getting too in the weeds here, uh, let, let's just think about how doctors. I mean, how yourself, how you, you how you used to think about your practice 20 years ago, right? It was pretty simple to stay on top of uh, mm. new new evidence and new trends, new guidelines. It was pretty simple, right? Today, it's really hard. And and if we think about the public, you know, how does the public perceive healthcare today? Well, they watched as the world around them, the healthcare world around them, wasn't able to keep on top of the changing evidence and changing circumstances around one single condition that was at the top of the news every day right we right. we we had different parts of the health system doing things in different ways right so i think it's it's really obvious that it's getting harder right mm -hmm. and that that trend is just going to continue right so so this uh there's a, there's now a growing divide between best practice and common practice at the front lines of care, right? And right. That's, it's not going to get that's not going to get better on its own. It's going to get worse as the types of knowledge and information that we're that we're asking our our doctors to consume gets more complex, right? Right. So so you you need technological solutions and approaches to bridge that divide. That that that's a that's a great point. I mean, I think that that's you're absolutely right. It 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 sadly it it is in one way it's great that we have all this information more so than we did 20 years ago. Unfortunately, it's sad that we haven't been able to implement it as effectively as possible. So, so that's, that makes a lot of sense for me. You, you mentioned sort of the bioscience, your MNA, but I'm curious, was Think Research your first sort of interface with the healthcare system as a non-patient, right? As a non-patient. And I'm really curious, was, was there any similarities between sort of the infrastructure and process of the law and healthcare in terms of how the back end, the pipes, if you will, work? Like, was it, was it frustrating? Was it, cause it, was it, no, I've seen this before. I'm just curious what your, 
first interface was with that? You, you know, it actually had more similarity to some of the media companies that I worked for when oh. I was a lawyer, right? Huh, so what okay. is, you know, it's not not quite a perfect analog, but, you know, what happens in, in media? Well, you, you're putting out content and you're trying to get that content to your users, right? Think of like, a, and by media, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of media, but think of like Bloomberg. Think of mm-hmm. uh, other similar services where you're trying to get the latest in information out to um, out to your client base. So, so um, certainly in law, you, that happens all the time with new new cases, new um, uh, changes in law that are constantly coming out, and you need your lawyers to be to be updated. Very similar thing happens in business and in and in media where you're trying to push new content out, right? So I okay. had a fair bit of exposure to that in the, in the early years. And, and I saw this as analogous in many ways to some of those industries. That's fascinating. I know I've never thought about it quite that way. That's really interesting in terms of sort of looking at the content and getting it out to the users. That's really, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. That's awesome. Well, you, you probably don't remember this story, but, but I think it's important for other founders maybe sort of to appreciate the nuance of it. I think when we 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 first met, I guess about 2013. I know we last met about 2014, 2015. You had you had again told me the story, and you may not recall, so I'll won't hope it's not embarrassing. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 when you were at, and I think it was even called Patient Order Sets at the time. I remember you telling me the challenge of you integrating with some of these hospitals, and again, this wasn't that long ago. It was certainly less than a decade. Trying to get digital platforms and healthcare users to kind of start developing and using these tools. And they weren't really even at the point of being proficient with Microsoft Word. Like they were literally, and maybe it still is, using pen and paper to get stuff done. So just in terms of onboarding customers, and I'm talking, and you, you know, your target market, I guess, is hospitals predominantly, to getting those users on board. Can you, can you maybe just talk about sort of some of those early experiences and, and what did you learn from that experience? And you know what kind of stays with you that that kind of still permeates think research because I can only imagine coming with a completely different tool and having users just not even kind of understand what a digital platform is how to work it you know is is challenging because that's your bread and butter you need people to eventually get on the platform so I'm curious yeah I mean uh, that's I I don't specifically remember the story but I remember the living it yeah right. Uh, <laughs> And it was, uh, it was, and continues to be hard in a lot of respects. You know, healthcare professionals are—they're just human beings at the end of the day, right? And they're really busy human beings. So, how do you get their mind share when their their you know their mission or what they're doing is not their mission isn't to learn your platform. Mm-hmm. Their, their mission isn't to to learn those tools, right? Their mission is to care for patients, right? So the and it's true. It was you know even simple things. It was it was hard to get their mind share to, to yeah. learn how to how to do those things or right. So the lessons that and by the way, it's gotten easier partially because we've modified our approach to make it a lot easier for them. But it's also gotten a lot easier because technology now permeates all of our mm-hmm. lives in so many different ways. And the, the tools uh, available, um, you know, even on our s- smartphones or 
or or even our even our laptops it's just so much easier to adopt we've we've learned a lot about how um you know humans uh, think and behave and so on and so forth and we we can use data more effectively to to guide things like like adoption but fundamentally you have to make it really 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 easy for them because this is not you know as a you know to to those who are uh creating a startup a technology startup in healthcare your software is not the thing that matters to them mm, that's a great point right caring for patients is what matters to them and you've got to be as seamless as possible so that you fade away into the background got it so if in i'm curious in retrospect and i know you still you know you mentioned you still have some of those challenges if it were easier, would you have wanted it to be easier? Or are there lessons that you only get by a lot of handholding? And again, I'm referring to healthcare in particular, but I'm just, was there something that just vaults you guys to the next level because you have gone through that slog of sending teams in to literally handhold people through this process? Yeah, I, I think we could have done a better job in learning from the difficulties. And we, we could have shortened that timeline, frankly. I really do think that. That being said, you take your own journey to get to where to where we are today. It's it's a hell of a lot easier to adopt today. And um, uh, uh, so I'm, yeah. So uh, that, that that's a, got it. Really, all I'll say on that. Okay. So I, I really want to focus on kind of two two key areas for the rest of the podcast. Two areas that I'm really fascinated about and would really love to get your feedback on. And and one is KPIs. And the other is culture. Uh, KPIs, frankly, because I think it's thrown around a lot. Those three act, those three letters, without actually digging into what they really mean, um, and we'll kind of get into that. And then I think culture is so critical in companies. But I'm also really interested in the culture of startups versus the culture of healthcare organizations. And to me, working in both, they're very, very different. Um, and I'd love to hear kind of think research journey through through that. So, so if that's okay with you. Maybe we can kind of tackle KPIs first. Let's um, go for it. All right. So I would love just to sort of hear, you know, again, my pet peeve is just KPIs. I mean, you might as well call them VPIs for a lot of people, just vanity, performance. You just put up any numbers that you can measure and up it goes. And, and I think a lot of people have adopted that mantra, rightly or wrongly. So one, I'd love to just sort of hear about how you think about KPIs in general and in the context of think research. Um, maybe sort of tell me what their importance is. I know sort of a lot of people believe they know what that is. Maybe you've got a different slant on that. How do you choose the right ones and, and who's involved in that process when, you know, and again, it, maybe it differs through different stages of the company as you've gone sort of from early to growth to now public company, but we can get into that later, but maybe just at a high level, kind of give us your riff on, on KPIs. Yeah. So for, this is first of all, an area that gets, that is, that is different as between when you're a startup when you're a scale up and then when you're a public company, it changes yet again, okay. right? Because the stakeholders involved change all the way through, right? But at a high level, we are a mission-driven company, right? And so um, the thing that generates revenue for us is achieving that mission, right? And so our KPIs need to be first and foremost focused on that mission to organize the world's health knowledge so everyone gets the best care, right? So what does that mean? Our KPIs need to be around, are we getting the content out 
to our clients and our users. Are our users actually using them? Right. And then lastly, are they actually impacting patients? Right. Are we Mm, reaching those patients with those tools? Because ultimately, that is how you achieve your mission. Right. So internally, our KPIs are around that mission. Right. And that is the sort of that's the golden goose for us. Right. So that's that's what we really need to focus on. And frankly, that's what keeps staff motivated. Right. Is to have KPIs of that nature. However, once you are a public company, you also have to pay attention to KPIs for public markets mm-hmm. for and um, for your uh, and, of course, all the way throughout, you need to focus on KPIs also for your customers. Right. So so we, we, we think of it in a little bit in those different segments. What do the public markets want from a software company? Well, you know, they they care, of course, about your top line revenue. Mm-hmm. They care about your. You're very much about your gross margins. They care about the uh, your your bottom line. So what are your EBITDA margins? And they care about the percentage of your revenue that's technology driven versus non-technology, right? Services versus versus software. Right. And then they they care about. Uh, then there's a second set of things that they care about. You know, users is your number of clients increasing? Is your number of users increasing? And do you have meaningful metrics on actual usage? Right. Mm-hmm. So How what, what advice might you give to let's just say an early stage startup coming into to healthcare and thinking about who needs to be at the table for them to develop KPI? Maybe sort of going back to when you guys like like is it an, an all hands on? Everyone gets a gets a kick at the can. Is it the senior team? Is it the tech team? Like, are there multiple teams? Any any advice for how founders might might think about that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, you're you're lucky enough to be in healthcare, which means that you're you're going to have some sort of per, you're some sort of purpose driven company or mission driven company, right? So I would encourage you to start from there, right? Okay. Whether you whether you do it yourself, you do it with your senior team, you do it with everyone at the company. Uh, that's that's really going to depend a bit on your culture and 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 how you how you um, opt to to build your decision making process. But but I'd say start there because you really need to figure out what it is that is going to be at the heart of what you're trying to drive from the day that you start to your first customers to your scaling to your scaling right and if you if you put that at the heart of your KPIs then you're going to be driving the right kind of behavior and the right kind of decision making against those KPIs got it makes sense so i'm curious maybe not now cuz obviously you're in a much different stage with think research but early on did you have any sort of what i'll call outward facing KPIs and you touched a little bit on sort of patient sort of outcomes or patient impact. And I'm not sure whether that was obviously it's not obvious. I guess it may be a bit easier for you guys to collect that information as you get deeper into the health system. Were you able to do that at an early stage? How important is that given the interaction with healthcare and their focus on, you know, as you said, patient, their job is to make sure patients get better, right? So is that important for for a startup to do, or are you really just focused on internal metrics and being able to you know, use those to, to drive the flywheel, so to speak. No, I actually, I actually think it's, it's, um, the first, right. You really do need to think about some of those KPIs early, 
So if you're if you're trying to impact patient care, you need to show that you're actually impacting patient care. Right. You need you need to have some measures of outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. The challenge for a lot of companies is getting that data. Right. And if you if you if you over invest so heavily to get that kind of data and to get those those case studies, it can really starve you out. Yeah. Right. So you need to be thoughtful. You need to be you need to pinpoint those opportunities to get that kind of information and ideally build a machine to be able to get more and more of it over time. But right size the amount of outcome measure measurement that you're doing to your stage as a company. And uh, so, you know, for us, we were very lucky because we, our solutions impact patient care. Therefore, hospitals were willing to, from day one, share the data with us on okay. on patients, right? So we, we collected patient data literally from day one, right? Okay. Including simple outcomes data, length of stay, readmissions, uh, uh, morbidity. Those things were were easy, wow. simple, early uh, uh, bits of information, not bits, but amounts of information that we would collect. And then we'd have right. how our solutions were being applied to them. So, but then even doing the analysis on how we're impacting patient care, that's costly, you know? Yeah. It's uh, so, so it's one thing to get the data. It's one thing to do the analysis. It's another thing still to then publish your your case studies and your white papers on how you're actually impacting uh, patient care. So so again, you know, right size it for your stage, get right. enough of it, find out what your what your clients and prospective clients actually need and then scale it up over time. That's fantastic. I I didn't realize that um, you know, and you know, like it's it's all anonymized, privacy security, all that was respected. I didn't realize that you that they were willing to give you that information to enhance healthcare, so that, that's awesome. Is that was that built into your product, or was that something that was just on a case by case basis? Again, I'm thinking from a founder's perspective. If I'm going to start up ABC for whatever healthcare doesn't know them from Adam, how, how do they sort of think about that, or how do they sort of negotiate that? Is it something that again you build into the product, so it just kind of flows through that and it becomes part of the whole sort of ecosystem of healthcare providers using that product? Or is it something that, again, you've got to go to different levels to get that? Depends on what you're doing. So yeah, okay. for us, uh, for us, because we're, our tools are being applied to patients, we need to connect that tool with the patient record, right? right. And therefore, the, the two are sort of married together. And getting that data was easy. Also, because we're selling us we're selling a solution that requires the trust of the health system from the beginning. You're not going to trust our protocols, our, our order sets, so on and so forth, unless you, you know, unless you, 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 you're using them for that very purpose. Right. So, so trust the fact that we're actually impacting patient care, the fact that the, the, the solution is, is sort of married in with the, the record that got us the data. But let's say you're in a, in a different part of healthcare where you're, you're, selling a medical device or you're selling a you're selling a pharmaceutical product or something of the sort right it's going to be a lot harder for you to get the data mm-hmm. you're going to have to you're going to have to pinpoint how to how to acquire it right and and that can be more difficult right well, that makes sense did did you, you 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 talked about this a little bit you touched on how your KPIs changed uh i'm i'm a little bit curious 
if maybe you can give me sort of a broad overview of how they changed as you went from early stage to later stage. Did you completely revamp them? Did they have more fidelity because you were able to get more data? Did they become sort of broader? What sort of directionally, not specifically, but directionally, how did you see sort of KPIs going? Again, as the team grows, as the, you know, the amount of customers that you get grows, as the maybe sort of use cases differ, how do you, how do you sort of think about that? Because that's a, that's a big ask. Yeah, they, they change with maturity and they change with size, just like a, you know, a company a startup company, one person, right? right? Then you get to you get to five people. You got a little bit, of, you know, one person. Everybody's a, you're a generalist. Five people, just about everyone's a generalist. So you have sort of general KPIs, right? You're up to twenty, twenty five people. Probably half your people are specialized, right? You're up to fifty people. Probably most people are specialized. Mm-hmm. There's only a small group of generalists, right? And that continues on and on and on. And so. You go from very general high-level KPIs to something that gets much and much more fidelity over time. And then you have break-off KPIs where you've got a particular department under the umbrella of the broader company KPIs. They may have some, some very specific KPIs on how to assist that broader objective. And then your your finance team gets big enough, and they've got particular KPIs. Uh, you know, how are they driving uh, your gross margins, or how are they driving your your earnings, and and so on and so forth. So so it's it's sort of like you know the umbrella stayed the same, mm-hmm. right? But the way that that would be expressed would change as you as we changed in size. Got it. And specialization. Got it. Got it. Did 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 you have? And maybe this is an unfair question for you. Did did you have any ability to get a sense of what your customers' KPIs were? So again, we're talking healthcare. My, my challenge is KPIs is often thrown around that three-letter word without understanding the word key sometimes in there, um, and then the PI. Yeah. But but I'm just wondering, one, were you able to sort of get a sense of how healthcare at large does it? And I'm not looking for sort of any negative comments per se, but just in general, how they attack it versus startup, where it's it's almost do or die. And then the second part is, do your customers have any KPIs to evaluate startups? So does it look around the mm-hmm. other way, right? Or is yeah, it just, we'll, we'll see how this goes? Yeah, interesting, uh, interesting question. So, so our customers, healthcare systems, for, first of all, what we've learned now that we work in places around the world is that while health systems everywhere talk about the same set of KPIs, they really mean different things in different places. Okay. Right? So let's talk about some, maybe three of the really big ones, right? Uh, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of discussion around quality of care and health outcomes. And everybody talks about that, right? Yep. Then you're going to get a lot of discussion on cost. And then in some markets, you're going to get a lot of discussion around revenue. And that's right. not something that we, we think about here in Canada. But I, But you go... You know, you go a couple hundred kilometers south of us, and I promise you, right, that's on the list. And and then lastly, and this one um, gets talked about at the margins is time. And so, hmm. and what I mean my time is, is this making it harder or easier for me to do my job? Okay, got it. Right, and so the markets think of those things in different ways in Canada. We 
we talk a big game about cost, but often doesn't really come into play, right? We actually care more about outcomes and quality mm. of care, and we care about time. Our clinicians care about, you know, uh, is this making my life easier because I'm so right. busy or harder, right? In the U.S. market, revenue is the number one above okay. the others, yep. right? Right, And then cost is number two. And and then I'd I'd say you know some places outcomes is really important but but it's the first the, those financial drivers that are more important right right and then different markets around the world it's it's some different mix of of what those are right right uh, in terms of your last question do they look at us uh, they do of course yeah <laughs> do yes. they okay <laughs> yeah 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 and I you know I, I the world it hasn't been a perfect uh, you know it's been a two steps forward one step back. Uh, the places where we lose um, or we have some customer churn, it's because of adoption. Okay. Right. And are people using it? Right. Got it. It's, Which, yeah. Uh, that's number one. Adoption, adoption, adoption. Got it. You, you said something interesting. I just read a sort of an article a couple of days ago on innovation. And, what, and maybe just sort of I'd love to hear your thoughts on this just sort of quickly is one of the impediments, and this was sort of a theoretical article, was that innovation doesn't happen as much in Canada because it is so cost-focused and not value-focused. So in other words, you know, 10 cents spent today will generate a dollar over the course of the next five years. We don't look at it that way. We look at the, you know, that we're spending 8 cents today and we don't want to spend 10 cents today. So the innovation gets squashed. I'm just curious what you think about that argument coming out of that paper. I mean, and, and it's it's particularly contrast because we live you know next to the probably largest healthcare market in the world, um, where as you said, revenue, i.e., which is value, can we make more over the long term, is probably uh, of a higher stature, higher priority than how much do we save today. I think that's a that's a uh, that's a great way to look at it. Um, but I'd say it's not the only problem. But but I definitely think it's a it's an issue here where we're not able to invest because of our our culture has to do with the re, really maximizing the spend to the budget mm -hmm. using up all the money you've got and then uh, resetting your budget for the next year you don't have a five-year lens on right. uh, investing in order to drive up your top line and drive down your bottom line right in I, some ways there's not even a top line here <laughs> right in some ways there's not Is even there yeah yeah top, right Right, you get it exactly because the way the budgets are done, it kind of comes off the bottom line the next year, right? So, in terms yeah. of budgeting for some organizations, so yeah, but, but and I'd also say because it's a it, you know uh, the biggest players in our health system are all public sector. There's a consequence. There is a there's also a um, a risk taking problem, mm. right? So, so are, are public sector organizations willing to take on some risk? And uh, there's a lot, you know, in a, we, we have a bit of a public, uh, uh, public sector culture of finger pointing when something goes wrong, yeah. as opposed to uh, acknowledging, hey, we tried it. It didn't work. We've learned a lot. Let's move on and try something else. Right. Yeah. So we don't have that sort of risk taking, willing to fail kind of culture, um, which we certainly see in some other places around the world, south, south of the border and, and in other markets that we that we play in. Right.
so much to go in there, but I'm going to leave that for another podcast because I think that's going to take Fair us completely, <laughs> completely off where I want to go. But but I'm going to take take you up on half of that, which is which is culture, um, culture of innovation. That was such a big topic, and I'd love to get you back again and we can chat about that. But what I'm interested in culture in this respect is is maybe talk to us a little bit about culture of startups. How do you set it? What do you look for? I realize it's different in every organization, but is there a framework in which founders can think about this? Um, maybe you could just sort of give us sort of a high level and, and I'm probably talking less now, although I understand it changes, but you know, more early on when you're not maybe a group, not of five, but of maybe 25, where you're just about losing control, where you're not always showing up at the same lunch table. How, how do you, how do you sort of set it and keep it? Yeah. I mean, um, first maybe, you know, I, I'm not of the view that there's a, there's a single right culture, right? And okay. you got to figure out what's right for you. Right. And it can be it can be very, very different, even in and it's certainly different across different industries. I would say. That in healthcare, again, I'll come back to what we talked about earlier. So many of the people that work in this sector are here because they want to be here. Right. Because they care about uh, other people, they care about the mission, they care about the outcomes. Maybe they've had an experience in their own lives or in a a family member's life where uh, care could have been better delivered, Mm -hmm. right? They're here for a reason, right? So, and I I would say that that's a, it's a high percentage of those that work in this field, right? And so the one thing I'd say is just be careful to include that when you think about your culture, right? Right. Because and uh, and so this you, know, you can sort of tie this perhaps a bit to your to your mission or the fact that you're purpose driven, right? And put that a little bit at the center of what you do. Is it the number one thing? Is it the number two thing? I don't know. That's really up uh, up to you to decide. Mm-hmm. For us, it was really critically important that our that our mission was at the center of our of our culture. So we're we're trying to organize health knowledge. And so for us, it was our number one item is, a, you know, a, a passion to learn, a passion to, to continuously learn and continuously innovate. And so, so th- that was really important to us because it fit with our mission. Got it. So I understand how sort of embedding some of that within your own missions as a startup makes a ton of sense. I'm curious, though, whether kind of leading off from the last point we talked about sort of innovation and the public health sector. Was there a lot of friction in cultures? Because when I'm in healthcare, I'll tell you things are indeed, and for good reason, right? Risk averse, because when you're actually dealing with patient health care, i.e. the service of delivering health, um, you can't go fast and break things because bad things happen. And as a digital, particularly startup versus maybe a pharmacological startup or a biotech startup, often you get more, if you do go quickly, right? Because you want iterations, you want to understand, you want to see how it happens to that data, you want to do sort of A-B test it. How, how do you resolve some of that friction besides obviously embedding some of that, um, some of the healthcare culture into your own missions? Is, is there, or is that just, that's just the way it is and you have to get through it? Or, or do you have sort of a, a different lens yeah. which you could look at that? Yeah, um, I'd say that my answer on that has changed over the last number of years. So when we were a startup, we would have said, okay, find your pilot clients, find those that are the most innovative, 
right? Mm-hmm. And we had, I, I'm pretty sure we had this discussion a number of times yes. in the past yeah. where, yes. where you're saying, okay, you know, who are those uh, clients that are willing to innovate with you? And they're probably going to be mid-size and small-size places in the public health system. They're probably not the big places, mm-hmm. right? Not, I'm sure it's not universally true, but, but that's what we found. Especially right. in our early days, we, we got more rapid feedback, a more, more willingness to play and test new things with our, with our smaller clients as opposed to with the larger ones. I would say my view has changed a bit. My suggestion today to a startup will be, and, and I, hate, I hate to say this, but I, it's true, find a U.S. client early on. You're not US the only one who said that, yeah. Yeah, and I wish that wasn't the, the answer I was giving, but I would say, I would say having U.S.-based clients, they're, they're going to be faster to move. They're going to be will, willing to innovate with you more than you're going to find um, here. So that's, that's one thing I'd say. Another thing I'd say, and this is not going to be possible for startups, but it is a general trend, whether it's here in Canada or whether it's certainly in the U.S., some, uh, as you get to size and scale, some vertical integration doesn't have to be a lot, but some mm-hmm. vertical integration is is a trend with larger organizations, right? To be able to have uh, some service delivery under your banner, so you get that rapid feedback. Got it. So, so is this and, embedding yeah. your product within something they already have and using them as a distribution channel? Or are you thinking it differently when you're talking about sort of vertical integration? Well, I'm thinking like you're seeing very large tech companies and very large insurance companies that are buying some services, right? Or so, so in other words, buying the um, some a small number of clinics. So they can right. innovate faster. Right? I see. Or forming a formal partnership with a part of the healthcare system specifically for the purpose of rapid testing Got and it. rapid feedback. Right. That kind of idea is is becoming much more common in in digital health because it is so slow to get feedback. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Just coming back to sort of the last kind of question I have is culture is is it changes over time. That's kind of obvious as you grow, culture changes, you get further away. Are there any process? And again, I know you said you don't subscribe to any one process in terms of what the right culture is, but are there any processes that you do subscribe to main, to maintain that culture across the organization? Um, whether that be at the hiring level, whether that be at the, you know, uh, senior level and how they sort of, you know, cascade their missions down? Is it, is it just an all hands on meeting? How do you sort of maintain that? Because I can imagine that's obviously difficult. And with healthcare, as you said, I think it is important to maintain that, right? No, I, I think that's right. So, so number one, keep your, keep your mission and your purpose at the top of not only of mind, but keep pointing to it every time you're, you're with your staff, right? Also, uh, direct the, so pe- people look to the top for culture. Right. Mm, and if you don't yeah. live your culture, neither will they. Right. So your leadership team needs to to live it every day. And so your your values or your the the things that you're that you espouse, you need to demonstrate that as a leadership team. Right. And if you don't, it's it's one thing to, you know, have values or culture that you that you put up on a poster. Uh it, if you don't live it, it actually creates dissonance and it can be really harmful. Mm. Right. So, so, so don't, don't do it. If you're going to do it superficially, don't do it. It actually, it actually creates more problems for you. Right. So, 
Um, so you, you've got to live it. And, and if that means picking a smaller number of values or, or cultural priorities, then pick a smaller number so you know you can live them, right? Uh, third thing, make sh- start with hiring. And make yeah. those values, make those cultural elements a key part of the hiring process. So we, so we actually ask uh, our team members that are, that are doing interviews, they specifically need to uh, uh, think about, they specifically need to take notes and, and ask questions to, to uh, elicit responses around some of those cultural values. Right. It's a part of our hiring process. Right. And that certainly helps um, to to ensure you're getting uh, new team members that are that are aligned with those core values. Those are some those are some fantastic points. I love that. I I, I hope people are really listening to that piece because I think that's that that's really key as you go. So I, I'm, I'm mindful of time. I do have a couple more questions. Um, so I'm going to sort of pull out of the culture aspect a little bit. And I just want to, and maybe this is a dumb question, but I'm just curious, um, having known you guys since, I guess, 2014, 2015, as you get bigger, is it easier to sell into the healthcare system? Do you become like the IBM or is IBM always IBM, Hewlett Packard, always Hewlett Packard, and everyone else is like second, third, fourth tier? I'm just curious as you are, are, are you, yeah. is that flywheel flying faster is, is really the question. It does fly faster. Uh, as you prove out your solutions and as you get more sticky, it flies faster. Okay. It also, uh, the thing, healthcare systems, again, they're risk averse. So they like buying from bigger companies. The bigger okay. you get, the easier it gets. Well, one thing I will say, and this was a surprise to me, was that when you go from, from private to public, it okay. changes the healthcare system's perception of you. Even if you haven't really changed all that fundamentally from one day to the next, it it changes the healthcare system's perception of you, and and you get a an interesting stamp of approval for size and scale. Meaning, meaning entering the public system is that or no entering the public markets, going public. Oh, public market. Okay, got it. Actually, actually made a difference for us, right? Oh, okay. All of a sudden, people don't think we're a tiny startup, even though we weren't. Right. right. So there's some validation from the public market. There's a now. validation that comes. And as, right. as a result, our sales flywheel actually picked up pace quite significantly. Wow. That's fascinating. That is really I interesting. Was totally surprised to see it. Totally surprised. But it's, yeah, it's, huh. a, it, it's a thing. Okay. It's a thing. Okay. Well, it's an added benefit. It's a good, it's a good problem to have. Right. So, yeah. so that's great. So I'm I'm curious from your vantage point, what excites you in digital health right now? Besides your own domain, obviously, what's kind of happening that, that you're seeing that that's really kind of you know you're you're getting all jazzed about in in this area? Is or is there anything? Or you tell me. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, the the rapid change in healthcare, the the fact that we've had you know. We had 10 years of change and you know, over the course of, of one year, that, that's, um, that's a big deal in every part of digital health. And it is um, accelerating adoption of technology, but it's also accelerating um, change in the health system. So what am I excited about? Well, first and foremost, the willingness of, of health systems to allow data to be used to generate new information and knowledge and insights. and machine uh, driven decision making mm. 
Yeah. That's all very exciting to me because, uh, you know, the way I think about it is, is we've got a $10 trillion healthcare system globally. Seven trillion of that is, is human beings, is labor. Right. right? And we're going to have a massive shortage of labor over the course of the next decade or two. And, and we think it's going to be bad here in places like Canada and the U.S. Think about what it's going to be like in countries in the world that don't have the right. health systems and education systems we have. It's going to be much worse. So w- we need to be able to use technology to drive um, a lower cost of labor per unit of care. Right. Otherwise, we just won't be able to care for all the people. Yeah. Right? And so 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 that trend in general excites me. If we're talking about a few more tactical things, I, I'd say I'm really excited about where virtual reality and augmented reality are going. I, I think it's oh, interesting. Think it's okay. just, we're very early days, but I'd say the you know liberation of of uh, of of data and the uh, the ability to faster faster streaming, uh, uh, higher ability to transmit data is going to result in some really interesting things from uh, from the perspective of uh, VR and AR, for sure. So that's an oh, exciting little area. That's interesting. I, w- I wouldn't have actually, um, we're all aware of it, but I wouldn't have expected to, to hear you. And I don't know why I would say that, but but there it is. The, the, the one question I usually ask people, but I'm, I'm going to hold it off because if I can get you back again, um, it's a question on really um, enhancing the startup community and innovation in Canada. And I think that that's a deep dive and I would love to sort of, you know, I'm, a, I'm aware of time. So um, I'd love to double click on that. If you agree to come back, then then we can leave it for another day. Um, would love to. Fantastic. But but the one question I, I will ask you, um, which I love to hear from, you know, everyone in this sort of health tech ecosystem is, you know, things are changing. We, we know change needs to happen for some of the reasons you just mentioned. I'm curious, though, everything about health systems is certainly not bad. If there was one thing that you could leave unchanged about the current health system as we move into the future, what would that be and why? Um, I'm going to say human compassion. The fact that uh, the fact that we still look patients in the eye, people people are scared when they when they're sick. People are scared when when something goes wrong, and and the a human connection, someone uh, holding their hand, saying a kind word, even being sympathetic, to me that is something we can't give up, and it's it's something that we we are at risk of giving up if we're not careful, right? And so so to me that's a that's a really really important thing that we've got to maintain. I I love that answer. Um, it, and it's such a contrast to kind of the, you know, the area you're in where I'm not going to quite call it transactional, but that's how we think about healthcare is sort of getting more transactions through at a cheaper and more effective pace. And, and that has really sort of nothing to do with transactions. I love that answer. And that's, that's amazing. So how can people stay in touch with you with Think Research if they want to kind of connect with you? They want to see what Think Research is up to, what, what new products are coming out, what new innovations is happening. What's the best way to stay in touch with you guys? Well, we put out, we do put out a lot of news. So subscribe to our newsletter at uh, thinkresearch.com. Follow us on social media. We are at Think Research and uh, we're, we're constantly putting out exciting news and announcements. So, so would love to, uh, love to keep in touch with you. Awesome. Sachin, thank you so much for appearing on the show. And I am really looking forward to having you back on and talking about innovation. Thanks again. My total pleasure. Uh, and c- congrats on the podcast and love. Uh, look forward to chatting again.
Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reboot Health. I hope you found it insightful. Please join us again for our next guest as we continue to explore the fascinating changes that will take our health system into the digital age. Until then, stay well and stay safe.